We're going to talk about the 10 questions everyone asks about career medical missions. And as a missionary for 11 years and been involved in ministry my whole life, uh, I get these questions frequently. I didn't come up with these on my own. These are the ones that I hear all the time. And the first one is this. How do I know I'm called? Wow. That's a whole series of sermons. But uh, let's, let's dig into it just a little bit to help you clarify in your mind. Because many of you are seeking, what's God want me to do with my life? I have an interest in missions. I've had exposure to missions. Could God want me serving overseas full time? Well, first of all, there's a general call. And the Bible's very clear about that. That general call is about salvation. We're called to that. Uh, we're called to lordship in our life. We heard about that when Gil spoke this morning. Uh, I love that final illustration when he talked about the guys becoming slaves to Christ to go to the Caribbean. I almost wanted to stand up and say, are you ready to put your shackles on? Uh, that's what God asked for us. And I think it's nowhere more needed than in missionary service, that God is Lord of your life. He calls us to discipleship. He calls us to witness, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, and, uh, and he tells us to deny ourselves. And these calls all come through Scripture, and they're to all of us. They're not to some of us, specific people. They're to all of us. So it's not a matter of if you should be a missionary. It's a matter of where you should be a missionary. And uh, that's when we get into the whole idea of a specific call. Because God often, working through his Holy Spirit, gives a specific call uh, to do things above and beyond the norm. A good example of that is Paul. Paul on the road to Damascus, and God called him out. It's God's specific will for you. We know his general will for all of us. What is his specific will for you? What will you do? Where will you serve? Uh, it's more profound and life-changing than the general call in the sense that you sense this is exactly what God's saying to you. Uh, and it may cause, call you to a certain vocation or a certain type of ministry where God has something for you to do. And uh, so how do you really know that? I mean, how do you get to the point to realize that that's what God is asking you to do? It can be dramatic. It can come through a sermon. Maybe God spoke to you this morning. God was in that room. You could feel His Holy Spirit as we were having that plenary session. Maybe in a conversation. Maybe it was, you know, a, a hymn or an experience you had. For some of us, it's gradual. You have this growing realization that God can use the skills that He has given you. That's what happened to me. I, my dad took me to the mission field when I was a freshman in high school. Now, that was back in the dark ages, 1965. Most of my friends had never been on an airplane, much less outside the country. And I went down to Haiti, and I saw a nurse working there, diagnosing and treating because they couldn't get a physician. And God used that in my senior year of high school. And I was just praying and thinking over a month or two, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I had this growing realization that my love for science, the needs I had seen in Haiti, perhaps God could use me as a medical doctor. Now, there wasn't any flashing lights. There wasn't any writing on the wall. But when God gives that kind of direction, the next step is to walk through the door of the light he's giving you. So I started college and went into pre-med. 
And God blessed that. And then I got some experience on the field, and God began to reveal to me. The time I came back from that summer in Africa, I knew God had called me to be a medical missionary. I was absolutely sure, and it was to Africa. But it, it began with that growing realization. And so, you know, it's very difficult for to steer a parked car. You ever tried to steer a parked car? Try that with power steering. It doesn't work very well, does it? For the car to be able to be steered, the motor has to be on and it needs to be moving. And that's the way it is with us. Too many people just say, okay, Lord, I'm here waiting. Just come on, let me know. Give me that blinding flash. And God's saying, I've given you this much light. Now begin to move. Begin to explore. And I'll confirm the rest of it. We need to be on call. And Gil talked about that this morning. I don't need to repeat it, but totally committed. Uh, Saying yes to God before we even know what it is. See, our natural tendency is to say, okay, God, you know, we kind of approach it like a a job situation. Let me see the job description, you know, see how that's going to affect me. What's the salary on this? What are the benefits? Now, consider it. God doesn't give job interviews. Did you know that? He didn't ask Paul, you mind being beat up a little bit, you know, stoned once or twice? You know, well, if you like that kind of thing, have I got a job for you? <laughs> no, he, he, he just called him. And, and Paul, in faith, stepped forward. And, that got, and if God told you all that was involved, it'd scare you to death. It'd scare me. I didn't begin to see the path that God was going to give me, but I saw the next step. I saw the trail, the path to the next bend in the road. And so the other thing I want to do is caution you, and that is don't overemphasize a call or use it as an excuse. What I mean by that, some people, I remember a few years ago, uh, a decade or so ago, soon after I came to CMDA, I was doing a lot of public policy, media, television, that type of thing. And a group of guys walked up to me, very wealthy people, and said, would you consider running for Congress? The first thing without my mouth, without even saying it was, well, God wrote it on the wall. (laughs) Because, you know, I can't imagine living in Washington, D.C. and being a congressman. And God kind of rebuked me for that. He said, you know, it shouldn't take any more special call for me if I was calling you to do that than it was to do anything else I've asked you to do. Um, So don't overemphasize it. Move forward and search and then act on the light you have. Second question, where should I serve? Wow, there's a lot of places in the world. And God can lay a specific place, a specific people on your heart. Uh, we need to remember that there's 7 billion people in the world. We've heard some of those figures. 820 million of them are evangelicals. 2.84 billion are unreached. Uh, most of them are in that 1040 window that we talk about. Uh, that goes across northern Africa, where most of the 6,921 unreached people groups are. You know what I love about that number? About five years ago, when I did this presentation, that number was 10,000. It's getting less. There's still some unreached people groups for each one of you, though. Uh, so don't, don't worry about running out. The, the nice thing about unreached people groups is when we get done with that, you know what the Bible says? That's when Christ returns. Wow. It's a nice, nice prize at the end of the trail. I mean, we reach all these people, then Christ returns. Um, if you look at this area, though, that's where the fewest missionaries are. 
8% of the missionaries in the world, less than 0.01% of the finances, yet it contains two-thirds of the people. It's the most difficult areas to reach. And we can look at that and say, oh, man, that's just, you know, it's so hard. You know, the places now where we go, where it seems so easy, used to be like that. You know, the first missionary into Korea landed on the beach and was stoned to death before he got off the beach. You know who the first person was that got in with the gospel into Korea? A physician. And he landed, and the king's son was a hemophiliac, and he saved his life, and that opened up the doors for all the missionaries to come in. Back in the old days when you went to Africa, you packed your coffin, and you put everything in your coffin. That's how you shipped your stuff, because you weren't planning to come back. Your coffin was your packing box. God is faithful to do what he's called us to do. God may call you to somewhere else other than the 1040 window, but I think all of us need to consider it because that's where the job is that remains to be done, where the Hindu and Islamic people and Buddhists live, and uh, we need to be a witness there. And medicine, I believe, is going to be the key to taking the gospel into many of those countries because traditional missionaries cannot get in, but healthcare personnel can. And it can make a difference. But how do you make that decision? Well, you explore, read. I encourage you to read missionary books, biographies, stories of what's gone on before. There's a lot of good ones out there. You'll find them in bookstore over in the exhibit area and downstairs. Uh, and often God can speak through a story uh, to you and give you a, a direction. Talk to missionaries. That's one of the beauties of what we're doing here. We've got all these missionary organizations that go around and say, tell me what's going on in your area. What, what are the opportunities there? What are your needs? And you begin to think, how would I fit in? Um, attend this mission conference, other mission conferences, and, and then correspond uh, with people as you make relationships and uh, get on their mailing list and stay in touch with them and then visit fields go and that's the wonder of these day and time you jump on a plane be over somewhere for two weeks and put your foot down you didn't have to get on a ship for three months to get to Africa and uh, I know that's how it happened to me I had no idea where I was going and I went and spent a summer at Tenwick when I was a junior after my junior year in college and I came back and I knew that's where God had called me. He made it so clear during that time there. It was just the experience. I know a, a, a resident couple, and they finished their residency, weren't sure where they should serve. And they took a year. They went and spent three months in four different hospitals with four different missions around the world. When they finished that summer, one of those places just felt like they had put on a pair of comfortable shoes. The people, the situation, their skill set just fit. And they went to that place. So visit, uh, and there's ways to do that through teams, through World Medical Mission. Uh, if you're a resident or a graduate doctor, there's student programs. We have a through CMDA, you can go download a whole kit, a booklet online to help you know all the hospitals that accept students and where rotations are and where you can get money to help you, uh, short-term mission type of handbook. Those type of opportunities are out there. And so go and explore and say, go in with the an idea in your mind, Lord, use this experience to speak to me. Guide me through what I'm experiencing. And he will. And then look at your skills and your needs and your interest. Um, God's called you and you feel in, in your heart and know he wants you to be a neurosurgeon. Great. 
Well, David, how can there be any place for me in missions? I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. Well, there's a lot of places in missions you couldn't go, but there's places you could. In fact, I I know a missionary surgeon that was doing half the neurosurgery in Uganda, in southern Uganda, for a number of years. Um, So whatever your skills and needs are, God can, and and interest are, God can use. And then pray and pray and pray and ask other people to pray. You have not because you ask not. And that also has to do with God's direction. And then be adaptable. Be adaptable. Because what you come up with may not be what God actually has. You know, when I went to Africa... I was ready to pack my coffin. They were going to bury me on the hill down there by the hospital. I loved what I did. It, I just, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. It was much harder for me when God called me back to the U.S. than it was when we went. And so realize God may have a bigger plan than you're seeing. Dave Thompson, wonderful physician of Gabon who's spoken here. He was raised in Cambodia. His wife and he both were from that area. He spoke the local language. He understood the culture. He went under appointment. He was going, and they were just about ready to leave, and the killing fields broke out. And they ended up in Africa for their whole career. Now, you look and see what God's done with him in Africa, and you realize what God was doing. But as far as they were concerned, it was just so obvious that's where God wanted them, back where they had been raised as missionary kids. God had a different plan. How do I pick a mission agency? Boy, that's a big decision. Just go downstairs. There's lots of them here and more that aren't here. Um, And so how do you begin to make that decision? And it's not too early to be thinking about it. Uh, Often you think, well, when I finish my training, I'll begin thinking about that. Well, it may take a while for you to figure it out, so it may be willing to, maybe should take some time now. So what do you need to consider? Consider its theology. It's a funny place to start, isn't it? But certain mission organizations are multi-denominational. Others have pretty straight theological positions to to their denominational belief. And that may be a a barrier or give you direction in which way you could go. It may be the church that you were raised in, the one you're comfortable with, the one you know. The missionaries have been coming to your church uh, that God's directing you toward. But you need to think about the theology. Think about its focus. What part of the world does it work in? Uh, if God's calling you to Africa and they don't work there, then there may be a little disconnect. Um, what, what about, uh, you know, the, 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 the strategies they use? Strategies are important. And maybe they don't have a medical strategy. Maybe they're wanting to start one. They want you to do it. Uh, or maybe they have one that's very well established, but they may be mainly church planning or training or medical or radio or a combination of all sorts of things. But you need to look and understand exactly what they do and how your skills would fit in. What's its experience, this mission organization? Um, do they know what they're doing? That's an important thing to ask. Uh, you're going to be working with them. Um, what type of, uh, are they old and stodgy? Uh, and experienced, or are they old and cutting edge and getting out there and doing new things? Um, you get, get a feel for what the culture of the organization about. How do they do their support? Some people, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but it may be a, a denominational mission where the support comes to the denomination. Yes, you'll come home and speak in a few churches, but you're not responsible for raising your support. Uh, It may be a faith mission where you'll be responsible for raising your support. You need to know that uh, going in, and we'll talk more about that. What's its success? Are people coming to Christ? Are lives being changed? 
Do they have good leadership? And the mission is making progress. Is indigenization taking place? Are they nationalizing and training national leaders and raising up a, a self-perpetuating church? Uh, you need to know that type of stuff. It's management. Is it top-down or is it decentralized? The mission I was with was very decentralized, so we made most of our decisions right where we worked and just reported them up. Uh, some missions are much more top-down approach. You need to understand what you're getting into, and missionaries that are in that organization can give you some ideas, and there's positive and negatives to both. How do they deal with problems? How good are they at recruitment? How many new missionaries did they have in the last year? You know, you're the first missionary they've recruited in five years, that may be a warning signal. Something's going on. There's a problem. Uh, it's going to have an effect on how many people are there to help you in the ministry that you're doing, how well they recruit and, and new missionaries. What's its culture? And every mission organization has a culture. Um, and what do I mean by that? I, you know, a sense of family, how they relate to each other, um, and, and how they operate, not in just the the policies, but how do they actually function? Understanding its culture. And that's where an experience on the field can really give you a feel for how that mission organization operates. And then experience it, serve some time with that group. A lot of people can tell you lots of things here, and that's great. And that's a good place to start. But then you need to go and check it out. And the days when you had to go and, and didn't really get into the mission before you know you actually applied are over. You can go spend time with them, and almost every mission organization has short-term opportunities. How do you prepare? How do I get ready? God's called me, Dave. I'm ready to go. I'm a nurse, or I'm a physician, or I'm a PA, or a nurse practitioner, or I'm thinking about one of those. Which one did I do? All those type of questions come up. Let's talk a little bit about physicians. And the most common thing physicians ask in medical school students is, what type of training do I need? Good question. It depends on where you're going, what you're going to be doing. If you have some idea about that, it can give you some direction. But what if you don't have any idea? If you look at mission hospitals, almost all of them, or community health outreaches or clinics and other type of endeavors, almost all of them can use someone who has training in primary care, family practice, PEDS, OBGYN, uh, surgery, that type of thing. Uh, surgery is often a question, and, and, and if you're working in a mission hospital, often surgeons are very much needed. I had that big debate in my own life. I love surgery. I don't particularly like the people you have to learn it from. Uh, excuse me. The ones I knew back then. My first night on call in surgery in med school, I was with the chief of surgery here in Louisville, and uh, I was on call as a little med student. They were doing a splenal renal shunt. It was a new procedure. Chief was there, assistant chief, chief resident, and somehow I was in the room. I could not even see the patient. There were so many doctors around the table. But the chief of surgery turned around to me and said, what's your name? I said, Dave Stevens. He said, reach your hand in here and hold this retractor. Yes, sir. And I started putting my hand through. He turned around with a scalpel in his hand, blood dripping from it, saying, let me tell you something. You cause that spleen to bleed, I'm going to take this knife and cut both your arms off at the elbow. He wasn't kidding. At least I didn't think he was. He knew how to do it. So I, lo I love surgery, but the big battle is, well, I have, you know, I've got to do everything. I do OB, got to do pizza. I knew where I was going. So I did my surgical residency after I got to the mission field. But what are your interests? What is God giving you 
uh, an interest in. What rotation you just love and you can picture yourself doing it your whole life. Because whatever your specialty in medicine may be, God can use it somewhere. Okay, I think the days when you had to be a family practice doctor or, or, or go into just a big, broad general area are gone. You may not have as many opportunities as many places. The more specialized you are, but there are opportunities for you. Uh, extra training. I get this question all the time. I finished my family practice residency. I finished my PED residency. What else should I do? Let me tell you something. You could go to fellowships and residencies the rest of your life, and you're not going to be ready for what you're going to face. Okay? And I don't say that to scare you. It's just medicine over there is so much different than here. And where your real training is going to be is when you get on the field. That's why I've got uh, two of my kids playing ahead overseas, both of them medicine. I'm saying, go and spend a couple years at an established institution where you can learn how to do medicine overseas. And then go do whatever God's called you to do. Go in 1040 window. Go in the pioneer. But get some mentoring. Learn on the job. It's going to be different diseases, different issues, different ethical problems. And a lot of that you have to pick up after you got there. What your training is going to do is give you a baseline and teach you how to learn. But those first two or three years, that first term on the field, is going to teach you more than you learn during your training in medical school and residency in really how to take care of people. Nurses. Uh, nurses often overseas need extra training. Uh, there's a great need for nurses, as there are. A lot of nurses are involved in education. I know where we were in Kenya, you know, our nurses came out and they had to get extra training before they could even be licensed because the British system was in Kenya and it was so different than the American system. The American system, you can read six cardiac monitors and run the ICU, and there they have a whole different emphasis on bedside nursing. Uh, many of our nurses would come out do a, a term, go back and get their nurse practitioner. You come out, go back, get midwifery. Come out, go out, get master's of public health. They were always upgrading because overseas the nurses tend to be much broader in scope uh, than they are here, and it depends on what the needs are in the place you go. So what I often say to nurses is finish your training, get some experience for a year or two, and go, realizing that probably you're going to come back and do more training at some point. And um, maybe nurse practitioner and, and learn how to diagnose and treat. If you know where you're going, they can give you assistance as well before you come. Uh, physician assistance, and there's a great need for, for that skill overseas. Some countries it's diff more difficult to get licensed as a physician assistant, but it still is possible uh, because they call them different things. They're clinical officers where we were in Kenya, um, but you can be a tremendous help and uh, the ability to diagnose and treat is so important. Probably the shortest in supply when, when I was a missionary were dentists and pharmacists, and I think that's still true. Uh, I was 11 years in Kenya, medical superintendent running the whole hospital. We never had a pharmacist. I had to be the pharmacist along with everything else, do the medical orders and all the rest of it. And it's glad to see many more Christian pharmacists moving into that area. Uh, there's a real paucity of missionary dentists, and it's a wonderful uh, outreach where you can uh, really have an, a captive audience. They listen to you as you work. What are the advantages of raising children overseas? How many doctors you know that have breakfast, lunch, and supper with their kids every day? That's what I did during those formative years of their life. Unless there was an emergency at the hospital, 1 o'clock, everything stopped, and they came down, had the big meal of the day. I was late for supper, and that happened often. The kids came up to the hospital, knocked on the operating room door. Dad, what you doing? Mom wants to know about... Hey, can, can I come in and watch? 
Now put on your mask, get on the stool over there. I mean, you have time together like you'll never have in this country. The thing I thank God for the most is I got to raise my kids overseas during the most formative years. Lack of negative influences. People used to say to me, how can you take your kids over to that jungle? They thought everything in Africa was a jungle. And after a while, I finally turned to somebody, tried to say it nicely. How can you keep your kids in this jungle? This is where it's dangerous. I can let my kids out 10 miles from the hospital. Somebody bring them home. Nobody had hurt them. I don't have to worry about somebody giving drugs down at the mall. You may call me an isolationist, but, it, you know, there's some good things about that. All the other missionary uh, missionaries on the compound are still uncle and aunt to our kids, and they're adults now. They talk about their Aunt Susan and their Aunt Sue and, because they were their family. I mean, it's tough being away from your immediate family, but God gives you another one to help. And uh, you don't have those negative influence. You know, the best way to bind a family together, they say in the U.S., is take them camping. Because you face a common challenge. That's what missionary life is. It's one long camping trip. (laughs) You're always facing challenges together, and so your family just bonds. I mean, we used to get in the car. I was going to the clinic, take one of the kids with me. You know, you put in two spares. You put in the patching kit, the tow rope, the shovel, the, you know, the toolbox. I mean, you prayed before you went. You thank God when you got back that you made it safely. You were facing common challenges. And the kids get to see you live out your faith. They tend to be much more mature than kids in the U.S. because of the things they've seen and they experience, death and dying. There's good resources for helping you raise missionary kids. Rich experiences and travel and culture and living by faith. And they're very comfortable with adults because they, and children, they're very comfortable with different cultures. They have such a breadth of perspective. In fact, there's studies been done, and the highest achievers of any group in the world are missionary kids. Did you know that? Second highest is embassy kids, people in diplomatic corps. Um, it's, it, you get such a wonderful thing in raising your kids in other culture. Are there negatives? Yes. Frequent transitions is one of them. Sense of identity. Am I American? Am I Kenyan? Am I Cameroon, I mean, you know, Cambodian, I'm moving, I'm changing, those things come up. There's ways of dealing with those. Uh, Who am I? Where do I fit? Um, Rootlessness, uh, commitment, a sense of, you know, I have so much change. There's so many goodbyes and hellos. How do I commit uh, to things? And those are things that you might deal with with your kids, not all of them. Some of them have more problems than others. Uh, separations, and of course the toughest thing is being away from family and friends and frequent changes. Uh, but I tell you, the most wonderful thing, as I already said, was the opportunity to raise my kids overseas. They have such a big world view. Um, my kids, all three of my kids are here. I can walk in to the, to the display area where they are, where they work with the ministry, and say to them, would you all like to go to Afghanistan tomorrow? Sure, Dad. Can we go? <laughs> Because they're used to change, they're used to to different cultures, they thrive in being adaptable, and they thrive in ministry, and it's a wonderful thing. What about safety? Will I be safe? Probably not. Sorry, I just thought I'd let that out right at the beginning. You've got to remember God's in control. You're not safe here. We're not safe in this building. Something could happen. 
tornado could come through here. I did my medical school here in Louisville. First year, got dark outside, went home. There was a block-wide swath within a block of where I was staying. Just took every house. Um, God's going to protect you wherever he's called you to serve. God's in control. And you've got, that's part of surrender, saying, God, I'm in your hands. Uh, And wherever God calls you, there may be bad things that happen to good people. God's still faithful. God will care for you. I learned something a long time ago. The greatest risk often brings us the greatest rewards for God's kingdom. He wants you to get out there on that limb of faith and let him work through you. I remember I was in Mogadishu back during the days of Black Hawk Down, heading relief team in. The first night I went in by myself and I was up on a rooftop sleeping on a cot under a mosquito net with some secular group that would keep me off the streets for the night as we were trying to figure out what the needs were. The bombs were going off. The military was landing. The U.N. was coming in. You could hear machine gun fire. And I thought to myself, what is a man with three kids doing halfway around the world in this war zone? And God said to me, you're not here alone. I'm here. You're not here by chance. This isn't some big adventure you're on. This isn't some adrenaline rush. You're here because I've called you to help these people. I'm here. That's all you need to know about safety is you've got God along. He'll take care of the rest. How do you avoid burnout? Unlimited needs, limited resources. It's uh, always a tremendous uh, challenge. I remember Jody said to me one day, Honey, you're not very much fun to live with anymore. It was true. And in my mind, there was nobody else but me that could make this happen. I remember when God called us back and I was arguing with him. It took a year. And I said, God, this place won't survive without me. How's that for hubris? And God finally said, Dave, I took care of Tenwood before you got here. I can take care of it after you leave. And the hospital didn't even have a hiccup. So we need to remember that God expects us to spend time with him first, to do what he's called us to do, not to put it on our old shoulders, and to pace ourselves. One way to do that is find someone to hold you accountable. I think an admission situation is more important than ever. It can happen in this country as well. But who is your accountability agent? Who's the one that can say to you, you're looking toasty. You're starting to smell burnt. You need to slow down. You need to take some of this off of you. How can I help you? You need to go home. Back down to the house. You need to take the afternoon off. All of us need people like that in our lives. We need to learn how to delegate. Realize that we don't have to do it all. But who can we give stuff to do? We need to train others to help us, especially in missionary medicine. And realize the most important legacy you can leave is not you doing everything, but training others to do it, whether it's management, administration, nursing, a diagnosis, whatever. How can you train other people and put your efforts there so that if you died tomorrow, things would keep going? The, the things that you will value the most are those people you invested your life in. I go back, I was back to Tinwick this summer, and I was meeting with some of the guys that came almost off the path. They were ward attendants at the hospital. They swept and and uh, you know made up beds and stuff like that, and we 
we hired them to work in community health and become our supervisors, and I mentored them. And every morning, Susan and I were with them talking about what happened the day before, and, and we got to know their families, and we invested in their lives and taught them leadership principles and, and how to be good at what they do. And you go back now, and this one's a chief, and this one's a, a, the district leader in the church, and this one, you know, and you think, wow, that, that was the most important thing I did. And then you'll realize that. Keep at it. Realize that... Um, I, I still, I wrote an article for Today's Christian Doctor, a magazine, a couple of years ago, and I started out, I can't believe I've done it again. Because I was smelling burnt toast in the office. It was me. Um, you know, you have to keep at it because these things will creep on you. Your greatest assets are your greatest liabilities when they're taken too far. Your asset of getting things done, being focused, Really putting yourself into it's a wonderful asset, but taken too far becomes your greatest liability. Can you have spiritual ministry? You need to remember you must prepare. And you know you've spent a lot of time learning the Krebs cycle, which is probably not going to do you a whole lot of good on the mission field. Um, And so little time learning how to share your faith, which is why you're going to the mission field. And so take the time to prepare. Many mission groups require some Bible training and often doctors, nurses, and they're, oh, man, I, I, you know, I've had enough school. Now, this is probably the most important school you're going to have. You must prioritize it because the tyranny of the urgent will eat up your time to do what's most important. I, I went through that soon after I got there. There were only three of us, and there was just so much work to do. And, and I was in charge of outpatients. They... The staff would see, uh, the national staff would see the outpatients and the ones they couldn't handle. They put under a sign, said doctor to see, put them on benches. And so I was, you know, doing OB and seeing patients on the ward, doing surgery. And four or five o'clock in the afternoon, if the day went well, I'd go up there and there'd be 40 patients to see at the end of the day before I could go home. So, you know, what do you do? Well, you get efficient. Let's get these people in line. I want the lab on the chart. Let's get, you know, let's bang, bang, bang. Got to get them out of here. These people need to get home. Well, really, I wanted to get home, but... One day I was kind of in that kind of mode, to, you know, let's turn these people out and walked in and there was a man with a big retropharyngeal carcinoma ulcerating out of the side of his face. And my first thought wasn't very compassionate. Oh, good, this will be easy. Because there's nothing we could do. I mean, give him some pain medicine, send him home, go on to the next patient. We didn't have chemotherapy, we didn't have whatever was going to help it, we didn't have radiation therapy. This man was a few months away from dying, make him comfortable. And God just grabbed me by the the throat and choked me and said, David, why did I bring you halfway around the world? And I still remember sharing the gospel with the raptuette very simply in two or three minutes with the bustle of the clinic going on. And at the end of that time, he looked at me and said, as I asked him, would you like to accept Christ? I'll never forget. He said, of course. And we knelt by the exam bed and accepted Christ. Probably saw a hundred and some patients that day. I don't remember any other one but him. And it changed how I practiced missionary medicine because it was consuming me all this need. And God was saying, no, don't forget the most important thing. It's a danger. You have to prioritize it. We can't do it all. Remember that you need to have others involved with you in spiritual ministry. And that's chaplains and training. And, you know, at Tenwick, they had a wonderful chaplaincy system. There was an on-call system for chaplains 24 hours a day. They made rounds and all the patients on the wards could write consults. You could call them for emergencies. Uh, you need to realize you can't do it all. That's your complementary role. Uh, and you need to set an example. 
and that means speaking in chapel some and speaking in services in the community and witnessing on the wards, which you're not going to be able to do at all. Some groups may want you even to get ordained. In some places, that's important. I didn't do that, but uh, for baptisms and things like that, sometimes healthcare personnel are ordained by their mission group to do that type of thing. What will be your biggest challenges? Growing spiritually in a lot of areas. Um, you say, wow, how, how's that? Well, you, you know, in our situation, you were going to a church in a, in a foreign language with a pastor that had less Bible training probably than you had had yourself. And, um, you know, you learned you had to find ways to feed yourself spiritually. Bible study groups, tapes from your home church, other things to make sure that you didn't begin shriveling up as you gave out and didn't take in. Adaptability, the most important characteristic for missionaries, and realize that things are going to be continually changing. Other missionaries will be your challenge. My brother-in-law, who's a missionary in South America, when we left, he looked at me and said, Dave, remember, your greatest blessing is going to be the other missionaries and your greatest problems. And I thought, wow, that's kind of funny to say. But, you know, you don't get to pick your friends on the mission field. Did you know that? The mission picks them for you. And you live with them, you work with them, you play with them, you worship with them, and you can't get away from them. And you're under high pressure. And so dealing, learning how to deal with conflict and how to be a solution to problems and not a problem that's causing the problems is very important. Separation for family we've talked about. And realize that medicine is only part of the equation. You're going to be doing a lot of other things besides medicine, whether it's preaching, teaching, governance, management, administration, project management, uh, raising funds, and God will supply all those needs. We've got a few minutes for questions. Now that I've solved all the questions you've ever had about missions, maybe there's one or two more. Questions or comments? I, I found out, you know, I'd been in leadership in, in, you know, president of my class in college and chief resident and stuff like that, but never to the degree that I was called on to do in Kenya. I found out that I had a knack for them and I enjoyed learning about them. I, I think the thing, in fact, I'm talking on leadership in the morning, and one of the things I talk about is the importance to realize that you're in a continuing learning process, and it's not just management and administration. There's so many different things. I mean, I learned about farming. I learned about raising chickens and milk production and all sorts of things because those are the things that were needed to solve the problems we're seeing. And so I think um, some people have skills and bents for certain things, and you need to find out what those are and try to get involved in them. Sometimes you're called to do things that are not as enjoyable, but it may be what it takes to get the job done. Let's let you go to the next one. I'll be up here if you've got any questions. I'm going to kind of unpack and move over to the side so the next person can get in. God bless.